Welcome to Syracuse University Talks Business, a collaborative podcast about the innovations, challenges, and opportunities in the Bonnard business world and their impact on other industries. This podcast is produced by the Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University. The audio for this episode was recorded during the All the Lonely People webinar held on October 9th, 2020. Today, we talk with three Syracuse professors about how loneliness affects people in the workplace and how it has been perpetuated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Whitman professors Lynn Vincent and Joel Carnavale share how their research has led them to a deeper understanding of loneliness in the management setting. My work primarily focuses on the social and moral implications of creativity. So when you ask someone to be creative, you might get a creative idea or a solution or a product, but what else are you going to get? Um, and my research really dives into that, what else? And that's, that's the path that brought me to loneliness and loneliness adjacent topics. So I usually approach it from a identity lens where I look at creativity as an identity. So not just that you engage in creative behaviors, but you see yourself as a creative person, that, that that's part of your identity, it's important to you, it's part of your social construction. Uh, so my research uh, really kind of at the intersection of leadership, workplace mistreatment, and employee work behavior. So uh, more specifically though, I focus on, and what I think is particularly relevant for our conversation today on loneliness, uh, most, most of my research focuses on the influence of negative leader behaviors uh, or leader personality traits such as leader narcissism and the effect that that has on employee well-being. Sharice Lepree is an associate professor of communications at the Newhouse School. She explores what contributes to loneliness through a media perspective. So yeah, my area of expertise really focuses on how we use media to think about ourselves and others, and also um, with respect to loneliness, two specific things. One, the way in which media can activate feelings of social exclusion uh, through a lack of representation or what um, media effects theorists call symbolic annihilation. So the absence of one's social group through the symbolic representation of culture, which is media, uh, as well as the way uh, media is used. So specifically media technology, digital technology, but also 20th century technology in uh, resolving feelings of loneliness by activating a sense of belonging. Professor Vincent says the definition of loneliness is often misunderstood and can be difficult to explain. So loneliness is usually described as this painful, negative, aversive feeling that is subjectively evaluated and or situationally induced. And it signals this deficit of desired social relationships. Let's break that down. What does that actually mean? So it's something negative. It's painful. We actually can feel loneliness in our brain in the same way that we register pain, like physical pain. So it's, it's negative. We don't want to feel this. And that's important because you can be alone and not feel lonely because you're content with it. You're fine. It is subjective. 
So it is your interpretation of your social connections. So if you have two people that each have 10 connections, 10 friends, one person might feel lonely if they don't feel satisfied with those connections while the other person doesn't. So there's not a magical number. There's not one way to look at someone and say, oh, that person's gonna be lonely when that person is not. It is very subjective. Um, and it's important because you might have a, so, someone who you see as a social butterfly who actually feels very lonely. It's a situational. So you might feel lonely in one context, like you might feel lonely at work. You might feel romantically lonely. You might feel lonely in your, your, your friend domain or your family domain, or it might be pervasive. You might feel lonely all the time, but uh, I think it is important to say that the researchers do approach this as an evaluation or a state, as you indicated. It's not a trait. It's not a personality trait. Right. Like you can say, I'm open to experiences or I'm an agreeable person, but as part of your personality, you can't say, I'm only person as your personality. But you can say that you are chronically lonely, that it is this pernicious, pervasive feeling that can define your approach to your life and to other people. That's one of the insidious things about loneliness is it can be quite uh, self-reinforcing because lonely people tend to also have uh, lower self-esteem, they experience more negative emotions, uh, and that in turn can cause them to socially withdraw, uh, doing the very opposite thing needed to do to, uh, you know, reach out to those kind of, uh, you know, build those social bonds. People build those bonds that Whitman professor Joel Carnavale mentioned by doing things like getting lunch or going to sports games. But COVID-19 has nixed those options in most parts of the country. Newhouse professor Sharice Laprie says the lack of in-person interaction has heightened our reliance on media. Loneliness as we construct it from a social perspective uh, really takes hold through the mid-20th century. That's not to say that loneliness didn't exist before the 20th century. But from my perspective and my argumentation, I would say that we have become so used to not feeling lonely, especially through the widespread adoption of streaming media technologies like radio and television. And then especially in the case of cable television, where content was specifically targeted towards individuals and served as this virtual companion. That's the environment we come into in the 21st century, where we rely on um, internet technologies, as we are right now, uh, to activate feelings of belongingness and resolve feelings of loneliness. Because loneliness manifests differently in different people, responses to loneliness are going to vary as well. When a person feels like an outcast in a certain group, that can very easily lead to an overwhelming feeling of loneliness. However, Professor Vincent says that isn't always the case. I did some research on social rejection and who are the people that can take social rejection and turn it into something positive, which in my case, uh, my study was creativity. And uh, I found when after people have been socially rejected, the people that can transform it into a positive thing, like, oh, yeah, people didn't like me, but that's okay, were the people that had an independent mindset the people who identify themselves as individuals rather than as uh, part of a collective or uh, define themselves as 
uh, socially. Like, I'm a part of this group. They're like, no, I'm an individual. And it's okay that I was rejected because they don't get me, you know, and that's okay because I'm unique. I'm interesting. What my research indicates is that being creative can feel liberating. Uh, There's uh, connected research that shows that being creative and feel like a personal disclosure so that you are sharing part of yourself with other people. So whether it's through social media or pursuing a hobby in your personal life or pursuing an idea at work or starting an entrepreneurial venture where, you know, something that's important to you that's, you know, reflects who you are, it's a way to reduce that loneliness. One way companies have tried to foster creativity in the workplace is through open office spaces. No cubicles, no doors, no walls. Employees will definitely collaborate more in that environment, right? Intuitively, it made sense that, uh, yeah, they should communicate more. They're gonna collaborate more with one another. They're gonna build greater social connections, even across departments where maybe they, you know, wouldn't necessarily um, be interacting. And it's gonna lead to greater creativity, greater performance. We're gonna have, uh, yeah, more social connection. And ironically, did the exact opposite thing. The problem with the open office space movement is people actually are less creative, uh, they communicate less. And one of the problems was there was this underlying assumption in the open office space movement that privacy was somehow at odds with social connection. Um, As Lynn knows from me knocking on her door pre-COVID basically every day to talk, uh, that's not necessarily the case. People like privacy, but they also, wanting privacy and wanting social connection are not necessarily at odds. You might be able to create a more private space when working from home. A home office, for example, tends to be far more private than any type of workplace equivalent, but that can lead to feelings of isolation. One of the concerns that we can have with suddenly working from home more often is our interactions, our communications are occurring digitally, and that's a less rich communication style. We get a lot of information through nonverbal cues, verbal tones, body positions, when we talk to someone face-to-face. And that doesn't happen over email, which is a very sparse type of communication style. Even video conferencing, it's not the same as talking to someone face-to-face. One of the concerns about that is if you are feeling disconnected, if you are feeling lonely, you are more likely to read those emails negatively. Even before COVID, there was there, there has been um, over the past few years emerging research looking at um, loneliness in virtual types of environments where most of what uh, the work that employees are doing are conducted virtually. So once again, distributed. So they're, you know, they're disconnected from one another, but connected through um, some sort of virtual platform. Some of the research shows, uh, as Lynn was saying, loneliness does affect work performance. There are things in the virtual environment that can be done to mitigate that uh, in terms of what can leaders do. Uh, interestingly enough, le- at least some of the prelim- preliminary research suggests that leaders, I don't want to say matter like less, but in a way they do. Leadership style, leader behaviors, they don't quite matter as much in virtual context. Not as much as you might think, where you know, we typically think, or leaders often think 
you know, oh, now's the time I need to appear even more energetic. I need to appear even more emotionally supportive, make myself available constantly, you know, have multiple meetings throughout the day, have virtual lunches, have Zoom happy hours. Uh, it's not necessarily ca the case. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they don't matter, they just matter somewhat less uh, in terms of those particular interpersonal type of behaviors. What actually matters more in virtual contexts is increasing engagement among employees themselves. So increasing communication uh, and not just any type of communication, the right type of communication, more informal type of communication. And so there are ways, uh, you know, what research suggests that that can be done, whether you're talking about doing, moving more from a traditional hierarchical type of leadership to a more shared type of leadership where individuals, uh, members of a group or work team, uh, they share leadership authority and responsibility. This actually increases communication among them, but it also increases the right type, once again, more informal, because typically in traditional hierarchical types of leadership, uh, communication tends to be unidirectional and also fairly formal, which isn't necessarily conducive for trying to get people together and build those social bonds. Social media can be one way to take advantage of the virtual space to mitigate loneliness, but it can also have the opposite effect. My quick answer every time with loneliness and social media is it always depends on how you use it. And this is, this is a big piece of the conversation that we often neglect. You'll hear people say, oh, social media is making us depressed, right? Well, if you're a very passive user, and I don't mean that in any judgmental sense, right? But if you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, which is how they want you to use it, they don't want you to leave. They want you to just keep scrolling in this sort of infinite, um, simple psychological satisfaction, right? Every new image triggers a sense of uh, reward. So as you're scrolling, you get like these little doses of reward with something that comes up. Um, and that can be, I would argue, very loneliness inducing because at no point are you really getting anything meaningful. You're getting just this kind of onslaught of uh, bits of content. Some are happy, some are sad. You know, it's just, it's, it's passive. Um, alternatively, if you actively use social media to resolve your loneliness, that is to say, I'm going to go and find a group that I connect with. I'm going to go find someone who's really into the things that I'm into and engage. I post, I like, I share, I have meaningful interactions with people online, then that would uh, not necessarily resolve loneliness, but it won't be as loneliness inducing as the traditional sort of passive interaction. Thinking about the kinds of interactions we have on social media now versus the interactions we want to have is a great place to start in addressing loneliness both in our personal and work lives. Thank you to Professor Lynn Vincent, Professor Sharice Laprie, and Professor Joel Carnavale for their time and expertise. This has been Syracuse University Talks Business. I'm Olivia Conti, and I'll talk to you soon.